good morning, Harrison Bridge. Hope y'all are doing well. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. And while you do that, I want to ask this question uh, to start off. What do you most look forward to? Um, This is kind of a fun week to ask that because Thanksgiving's right around the corner and I love going Thanksgiving dinner. Anybody else with me? Like, man, it's like uh, guilt-free eating, right? And uh, I still eat the rest of the time. I just have guilt with it. You know, like Thanksgiving, it's guilt-free. And there's like leftover uh, pie usually and, and uh, leftover turkey the next day. It's a beautiful thing, right? Like uh, just to, to kind of have a couple of days with family. Uh, but what do you most look forward to? If you're a South Carolina fan, uh, you probably wore some gear today to church because you look forward to last night all season long, right? Like some of y'all with me on that. Uh, you were just like, we're waiting on our time to come and you shined. All right. So congratulations. Tennessee fans are like really mad at me right now, even bringing this up on stage. Um, but truly, I'm a dog fan, so it's okay. I, any, anytime I can make Tennessee feel bad, I'm all right with that. Um, but what do you really look forward to in life? Uh, we um, get like a package every day at our house, it seems like, right? And sometimes like my wife doesn't even know what she ordered. She's like, open it up. I don't know what's in that. Uh, let's see what it's like, right? We can, um, we can anticipate things like that. But uh, for me this week, I, uh, I bought a Traeger uh, smoker, all right? And if you smoke meat, it's like a cult. It's not as bad as CrossFit, but it's pretty close, all right? Like if, if somebody smokes meat, like, and you ask them about it, they'll pull up a picture of their grill and show you their grill like it's their little baby. And you're just like, yeah, looks like her mother. She's uh, it's great, you know, it's, you don't know what to say. Like, what do you say to somebody uh, when they show you their smoke? Oh, it looks cool. I mean, it looks like it would smoke meat uh, really great. I don't know. Um, but I got one last week, and uh, we decided yesterday we were going to do our first uh, ever smoke on the, on the grill, whatever you call it. All right, smoke some meat. So when got some uh, pork butt and got it ready, I got up early yesterday, which for Saturday, it's like 8 a.m., right? You know, I'm like, I, that's early for me on a Saturday. I'm like, let's get up. Let's, uh, let's get this ready. And I started it going dinner tonight is going to be incredible, right? Like nine hours of this thing on the smoker. And um, some of you who have smoked before, so this is like a, the, whoever the segment is in here, like it hits a stall at some point where it just will not go up uh, in temperature. And so at like 7 p.m., it was like 20 degrees off from where I needed it to be, all right? And so I'm look, I have the app, right? Because I, I love that about this smoker. I can like literally sit on my couch and see where it's at. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. I'm like telling my wife, it's been stuck at 184 for like the past hour, and I don't know how to get it up higher. And uh, it was really frustrating. But the main thing is that we're all starving, right? The kids all day have been smelling this pork, like come in uh, through the back door. They have seen the smoke billowing out of it. They've wanted to get an eye on it when I'm spraying it down. Like there's the anticipation that is building over this pork. And at this point at 7.30 p.m. last night, we're all like, as anticipated as you can get, right? Like bring in the food. And I was just like, man, this is getting a little nuts. Like we just need to get it to this temperature and it's driving me crazy. And I don't know if you've kind of been in that scenario where two hours or one hour just feels like it's five or six hours long, right? And you're waiting. Um, Just, we ate late last night, but it was really good, all right? So it was awesome pork. Uh, First first one down, I learned a lot and I'm going through with it. Some of y'all, anticipation might've been uh, with your spouse, right? Like when you were on the phone, when you first started dating and you called each other and you're like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. You know, I love you more. No, I love you more. Like that whole thing back and forth. And now your spouse calls you and you're like, all right, I'll get the kids. Love you. Bye. Click. Right. You know, it's like, it's gone that quick. Um, and, and what happens? Like what gets us to that point, right? It's a, it's a sense of familiarity 
that we lose when we lose that sense, sense of anticipation, that sense of expectation. And, and I think you should still date your spouse to that point, right? You should still have a sense of anticipation with uh, the one that you love and spend your life with. But we should have a relationship with the Lord as well. We sometimes, if we said, what do you most look forward to? We have neglected to realize that Jesus says, I will return again, and we should be ready at any moment. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we um, dig into Matthew chapter 24. And I'm going to read starting in verse 36, and I got a lot of verses with you today, so I hope you can kind of hang with me. Um, but I want to start with this idea of us anticipating the Lord's return, and what does that mean for our own hearts? Excuse me. <clears throat> All right, let's read in verse 36. It says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, but even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the son, coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on which day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must always be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find in doing so when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set over him all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know and he will cut him into pieces and put them in with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Man, it got kind of serious there at the end, I know. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but I love that what this starts with is a sense of anticipation. Now, much of Matthew chapter 4 is considered the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. They're asking him a lot of questions, and he's answering these questions. And some of their questions kind of lead into end times, all right? And so they asked, even about the temple they were in, they were like, man, this, this temple is so beautiful, um, Herod's temple where they worshiped. And Jesus said, man, in, in, within a generation, this temple will fall. And it indeed did. On 80, in 70 AD, it did fall and it did, uh, was destroyed. And so um, Jesus even here begins talking not even about the immediacy of what's to come, but even what's to come down the road. And many people over the years have tried to kind of predict when Jesus was going to come back, right? Like you've probably even seen commercials back in the day like the bible code it's like it's gonna give you answers that maybe we haven't known for thousands of years and somebody's worked it out there was a guy named um camping uh, harold camping that had come to the conclusion that jesus was coming back in the 80s and then eventually in 2011 he's like all right may of 2011 and he raised all this money and got billboards he got bench bench seats he's like jesus is coming back May 2011, you better be ready. And then May 2011 comes, um, Jesus still hadn't come back yet, right? Like we're still, we're still waiting on him. And the, the beauty of this passage, he's saying, nobody knows the time or the day. If somebody tells you they know the time or the day, they are not telling you the truth. And the, the reality for us is that we don't know, but we should be ready. 
Now, I don't know how you have a career after you already made a decision like that. Made, you're like, all right, June of 2011, I'm either like unemployed or Jesus with Jesus, like one or the other. But, um, but man, we tried to make too much of when and we miss out on why. And the point of this passage is to, to remind us of that. We will not know when, but we can know why Jesus is returning. We can know how Jesus is re- returning. We can know the importance of why he's coming back. We're familiar with even the Old Testament where um, the Lord talks about uh, his return all the time. He talks about God being a just God, God being uh, a God who will come back to judge, right? And so we're aware of that, and that's exactly what um, we're going to talk about here. I think we all think we're living um, in probably the worst time in history in some ways, but in many ways, uh, we know that's not true. Even we're going to talk about Noah in a second. But Noah's world was so bad that God said, I've got to wipe it out with a flood, right? Um, and and I, th- I think the reality is that we live in last days. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. All right, kids, he threw that in, in the, right in the middle of, of some heavy stuff ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I think all of us would say he's describing the world that we live in. And yet that was written 2000 years ago, which means we are living in the last days because the world that you and I live in is broken. The world that you and I live in is not one that has a Christian worldview. It's not one that is looking for their lives to point toward Jesus and see how he can grow in and through them. The world that we live in and the motivation of anybody who, most people who are running the country or most people who are running um, businesses or whatever, their motivation is, is not to put Jesus first. And that's why he calls us as Christians to be different and unique, to have a unique mindset that says Jesus is going to be the one that I anticipate and realize that I'm living in the last days and he can come at any moment. Second Peter 3, 9 through 10 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Revelation 1 says, Behold, he is coming in the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The idea of Jesus returning is not in question, it's a certainty. It's not a practice of guesswork, it's a guarantee. Jesus will return, and we can't ignore that. His timing may be uncertain, but his return is. And we must be ready. So we, won't, we aren't going to know when Jesus comes back, but we know that he will come back and we should be prepared. Our hearts should be prepared. We should be living with a sense of anticipation, expectation that at any moment Jesus come back. I may not even finish this sermon. Jesus may come back. So the first thing I really want to share with you is to be aware. In verse 36, he even starts off, concerning that day and hour no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. He's saying no one will know. Jesus will come again, but we don't know when. So be aware. 
I don't know if anything sticks out to you in, in that uh, passage, but Jesus is speaking, and I think it's interesting that, that he says, not even the Son will know. Uh, that's kind of interesting. I think uh, I wanted to, to kind of look into this a little bit because um, when Jesus came to this earth, Jesus was fully God and became fully man. He didn't lay his godhood on the side. He didn't put it on a shelf and say, well, let me go be man for a little bit. When Jesus was here on earth, he was 100% God and 100% man. And you're like, Pat, that's 200%. I know. I don't understand it either. Uh, the, the way we describe it is hypostatic union, if you want to sound smart. But the idea is that Jesus is fully God and fully man here on earth. That means um, he, he still has the power of God, and yet he also deals with hunger the way that we deal with hunger. He still dealt with temptation or hot weather or pain the way that we dealt with pain. Jesus um, was fully man while he was here, but he was still fully God. He was not just a good person. He was not just a good man. And so when I read this and I see Jesus doesn't even know, Jesus speaking, I don't even know the time of the day that I'm going to return. Um, I think we have to, one, realize that Jesus recognized, he had some, some pretty incredible uh, things that he did when uh, scribes were talking. He, he read their minds, if you remember that story where he's like, I know what you're thinking. Um, even the woman at the well, when she showed up, he had a supernatural sense of knowing her situation. He's like, yeah, you've been married a bunch of times. I know about that. And even the guy you're with now, you're not even married to. Jesus had a unique sense of understanding uh, that, that shows his godhood. And yet in this moment, uh, he tells us that here on earth, he, doesn't, um, he didn't know when he was going to return. That just tells me that there's some limitations to his humanity uh, that we have to be careful not to explain too much. Because if we try to understand that too far, we can really delve into some heresy. What I do want us to know is that Jesus was fully God <clears throat> and fully man, but he does remind us here that even I in this moment don't know when the returning of the Son of Man is. That's Jesus' favorite way to refer to himself, by the way, is the Son of Man. And he goes directly into talking about Noah. He says, for as in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, we know some uh, about Noah a little bit, right? We've heard some nursery rhymes and we've seen like uh, the VeggieTales version probably, um, and uh, I think like one of my little pet peeves is when people are like, it's two by two. And I'm like, well, it was seven of the clean animals and two of the unclean animals. So you can now correct people and be just as nerdy as I am um, when you hear people say that. Uh, but, but Noah um, was this guy who basically God said, hey, listen, build an ark uh, because there's going to be a flood that's going to wipe out uh, mankind. And if, if you and I uh, kind of got that message, we'd be like, sweet, like when's this When's this flood coming uh, next year? And he's like, no, in 120 years. So um, be prepared for that, right? So, I mean, how crazy is it that Noah spent 120 years building this ark uh, because he knew that the world around him was disobeying God? So Noah is preaching as a prophet, really just, hey, condemnation's coming. Trust me. I mean, and he builds this ark. And can you imagine? I mean, I don't want to add to scripture, but can you just imagine like what people may have thought of Noah while he's building this ark? Like, man, we've never had a flood. We don't, we've never even had rain come down. Like, you're, you're worried about all this water and building this ark. I mean, for 100 years, you'd be making fun of this guy, right? Legit. Um, and even Noah, when uh, God told him to go into the ark, uh, waited seven days in the sealed ark. He said, actually, God sealed the door behind him. So all these animals, Noah and his family go in the ark, and they're sitting in the ark for seven days, all right? 
My, my stomach was rumbling up with that pork like after waiting an hour. Can you imagine what your wife would say to you on day two in the ark? Like, all right, Noah, <laughs> where's this rain at? You know, like, when, when's God coming through? And Noah's like, just hang in there. It's going to come, I promise, right? And you're sitting in this ark for seven days with all these animals waiting on God's promise. Noah lived with a sense of expectation. Noah lived believing that God was who he says he was and lived in a way believing that. And so God honored that and the rains came and wiped out humanity. And I think as we read here, what's interesting is he says, for as in those days before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, given into marriage. Those don't sound like bad things to me, right? Like he, what he's not describing here is, man, hey, there's a bunch of evil people that uh, are going to get destroyed. What he's saying here is, as they were going about life, the floods came unexpectedly, so comes the Son of Man. Don't miss the illustration that he's trying to remind us of here. He's trying to say that Jesus will come in a time when we don't know, when we don't expect it, and he will come and he will bring judgment among those around us. The same way the floods judged the world that Noah lived in at that time, the flood, the flood of the, the Lord will come and catch us off guard. And those of us who know him will be saved. In fact, the Bible even describes Jesus as the ark. In that story, Jesus is the ark. Noah and his family trusting in what God was doing and God redeems him and saves him from ultimate destruction and judgment. Now you and I, we deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve every, every bit of separation from God and every bit of judgment that he may offer us. And yet Jesus died on a cross for us so that we can know God and be forgiven of that judgment. So that when God looks at me, he doesn't see Pat's sin, he doesn't see Pat's righteousness, he sees his son because I'm covered by his blood. So the beauty of you and I is not that we think we're smarter or better. The beauty of you and I is that we're covered by grace if we follow Jesus with our life. It's the fact that we are caught up in this ark that is Jesus, not on our own account. And he has redeemed us and saved us from the judgment that we so richly, truly deserve. Now, another common scenario he actually gives here in verse 40, he says, Then two men will be in a field, and one will be taken and one left. And two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. And what we have to understand here is not reading into this about who's taken and who's left, but reading into this contextually seeing that what he's reminding us of is that as they're working in the field, the unexpected return of Jesus will happen. When you least expect it, like we're not all going to sit in here with candles and just be on our knees waiting because we know that it's going to be on May 21st, 2023 or whatever. And we know on that day it's going to happen. He says, I'm going to come when you're working in a field, even women grinding um, at the mill. It would take at least two of them to kind of push that um, uh, grind around. They would they would uh, they would just be doing their normal life, normal job, normal work. And God will return. The idea is this unexpected anticipation of who God is and the fact that he will come. In fact, he even talks about a thief coming in the night to a master's house. I don't know if you've ever had somebody uh, break into your stuff. Um, I'm lucky to, to say that I've not had that, but my, my family has, my parents have. And thieves don't like, they don't send you a note like, hey, I'm coming at 2 a.m. tomorrow night. Like, be prepared, right? Because if they did, you'd be sitting at the front door with a shotgun, right? Like, right. you'd be like, come on, bring it. Like, this is go time. You'd, you'd be good to go, all right? But it's, it's not how it works. 
Like they, they're trying to show up when you least expect it. If, if you have like one of those uh, doorbell cameras or cameras on your house, you've even seen pe people post this. Like middle of the night, people are checking out your cars just to see if they're unlocked so they can get in there, right? How do you prepare for that? Well, you lock your car, right? You, you keep your house locked up. You prepare for thieves in the night. He's saying, the master, if you know the thief's going to come in, surely you would stay up all night. You would be prepared for that person to show up. He's like, so should we, knowing that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. That's an interesting way, I think, even for him to describe it. But he will show up when we least expect it. He will show up when we're not counting on it. So we should be prepared all the time. Now, that's an interesting way, I think, for us to even imagine what it means he says but be watchful our anticipation for his return is displayed by our actuation of what we know what i mean by that is we live out the way that we live our faith because we know that he's going to return well you're like well pat why should i even go to church it's because i know that jesus is going to return i want to surround myself by other people who are going to help remind me consistently of that anticipation of counting on the Lord returning in my life. If you take a coal out of a pile of coals and you separate it, that coal is going to go cold pretty quickly. It's going to burn out. If you bring it back to a group of coals, it's going to light right back on fire and warm right back up and be a part of what's going on over there. We have to be careful to realize that if we separate ourselves from what God is doing in our church, we separate ourselves from the church body, we're missing out on what God has called us to do. And you're like, well, Pat, I just, you don't know what I've been going through. And man, I don't, Maybe I need even a, a fresh start somewhere else where people don't know me because this has just been such a hard time. And I'm telling you, man, God has called us as a church to love one another and care about one another. And I promise you, even from the people I know in this room, and I know some of you very well, that if anybody came up and said, hey, I'm dealing with X, Y, Z, we're only going to embrace you and love you because of that. My family went through a difficult time this year and the church showed up. I could not be more grateful for what God has done in my life through the church. And let me tell you, if you leave a church because of issues, like you're going to find new ones at the new place. Like you might say, well, that screen's a little too big for me. I can't believe that they decorated for Christmas before Thanksgiving. Like I'm going to go somewhere where they don't have that, you know? Um, I, I just don't even think you should listen to Christmas music till December 1st or whatever. Like I don't, we, we get, yeah, some of y'all are like, I know, right? Like I'm just like, I don't even want to listen to Christmas music till we're close. You know, it gets me too excited if I listen to it now. I'm like, it just takes forever for Christmas to get here. But at the end of the day, like, we can find little things to, to pick on, and, and we can find things that are going to make us upset. That's not the point of why we're here. The point of why we're here is that you and I understand we've been forgiven of a great debt, and we anticipate God's return. We know that He's going to come back. So let's worship together until He does. And I'm either going to see him one day or he's going to come and see me. But either way, I'm going to be in the presence of my Lord. Amen. So, man, I want to be around him. I think even spiritual disciplines in our lives, another thing that we can do to live that out. Now, some of y'all like working out, but nobody really starts enjoying to work out. Like, let's be, let's be fair on that, right? Like, when you start working out, you're like, I know I need this in my life. Maybe your doctor told you you needed it. But you know, like, I know I need this in my life. I've got to do something about this and so you start to work out and then eventually you start enjoying that and liking that right you start you start liking it now here's the thing about spiritual disciplines i don't always feel like opening my bible and reading my bible sometimes i'm like man you know what i know i 
I want to like this. So I know I need to do it because I want to like it. So I need to discipline myself to, to know God's word, to spend time in prayer knowing him because I want to like that. I want my life to be filled with such an anticipation that I'm like, no, God, you hang up. You know, like I want that type of relationship with the Lord where I can say, I want to be in your presence all the time. I, I don't want to just be ready to go at any moment and do my own thing. I can't wait to be in God's presence and live with him. Jesus said at the Last Supper, he said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I may be, you may be also. God's desire for us is to have a relationship with us. And that should bring with it a sense of urgency. The gospel carries with it a sense of urgency. Jesus saying, you don't know the day or time or hour, says there is a sense of urgency that you and I should be so impassioned to the world and to the Lord that, that the world is lost and needs a Savior, that we should love them the way that God has loved us. That, that while there was nothing good in my life, Jesus saved me. While there was no great thing I could bring at his feet, Jesus said, here's my blood for you. Here's, here's the cross for you. Pat, you have been forgiven. I didn't deserve that. I know sometimes we have some neighbors we don't like, right? Like I know there's some people you work with that you don't like, but do you not like them enough to send them to hell? Can we really love our, are the people that we encounter enough that we were willing to share the gospel with every single person made in God's image? Like, well, they don't believe the way I believe politically. God still loves them. Jesus still died on a cross for them. Well, they wear orange on Saturdays. Like, I, hey, I, I get it. Like, but God still loves them. We ourselves need to realize that there is an urgency to the gospel when Jesus says, I'm coming again. Because he's bringing with his return judgment to those who don't know him. And so that's the second thing today is to be ready. If I had to say how to describe the first one, I would say, that Jesus is coming and we don't know when. And if I, if I describe the second one, I would ask, are you squared up for eternity? Do you know that you have a relationship with the Lord? He describes two different servants in verse 45, starting there. He describes the first servant as one that he left in, in charge and he was running the household like he should be running it. He was doing everything in pre pre preparation, I can't talk, preparation for the master returning at any moment. It would be prepared, it would be ready, and it would be ready to go. And the second servant he mentions is one that was like, you know what, the master's way far off. I can just go hang out and party, do what I want to do. I got time. I don't need to rush this whole thing. I can push it off and then I'll have everything together by the time he gets back. And that guy gets cut in half <laughs> and like sent to the hypocrites. Now, I don't know if he literally, that's really what Jesus is trying to say, is that he would literally be cut in half. What he's trying to say to us is, that is not a wise servant. Don't be like that guy, right? Um, don't act like the, the evil servant. Act like the wise servant who, who is prepared at any moment for, for Jesus' return. Who is prepared at any moment for his master's return. And so our motivation there should not necessarily be duty, but should be delight. The passion that drives you and I should not just be something out of a sense of obligation, but it should be something that we care about, that we love. That Jesus is returning, so I want to be prepared in my heart. I want my family to be prepared. 
I want the people around me to be prepared. I want my neighborhood to be prepared. I want Simpsonville. I want the upstate of South Carolina and the world to be prepared because Jesus is coming back and he offers us the ark. He offers us redemption to pull us out so that when the judgment of God comes that we all actually deserve, Jesus has pulled us out of that and redeemed us. I want to be prepared. He says to follow him and know the light. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Should we not say, hey, I'm walking in light. You're walking in darkness. Just come along with me. We make that such a hard thing, right? Like when we're talking to somebody about Jesus, we're like, hey, um, my pastor said I'm supposed to talk to somebody, and I figured you were as bad as anybody else, and uh, maybe I should you know, tell you the things that you need to get better about your life. Like, we make it just such a awkward thing when truly if you and your heart is right with the Lord and you're that first servant, man, it's something that spills out of you. You just can't help but talk about how God's blessing. You can't help but talk about when you're going through a difficult time how God's actually just bringing a peace that just supersedes all that. You can't help that when somebody, you lose somebody close to you just saying, you know, I have such faith that I'm going to worship side by side with that person again, and this is why. The beauty of living our faith in, in full anticipation of Him and expectation of Him is that everything we do in life, no matter where we go in life, is going to be directed toward giving Him glory. It's going to be directed toward, man, let me just tell you about this guy that has saved me, and I am the same as you. I may even be worse than you, trust me, but he still redeemed my soul. And I'm looking forward to his return. I'm looking forward to him coming back. Now, maybe you were here last week and maybe you heard the gospel clearly preached and walked out those doors thinking, I know I should have made a decision today, but I didn't. I want to tell you, today's the day to make that decision. Don't walk out another Sunday. God wants to change your heart today. He wants to remind you to be prepared, to be ready. He may come at any moment. Maybe you're here like me and you just feel like sometimes there's a familiarity with God that you just feel distant. You just feel a chasm. Or maybe you've even just pursued your own thing for quite a while. And let me tell you, no matter how many miles you feel like you've run away from God, every time you turn around, He's right there. He's not saying, I need you to run those miles back for us to have a relationship. He's prepared for you. Let today be the day that you renew that relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the beauty of the gospel and the fact that you sent your son to a cross for us is, is still just an overwhelming thought that, um, that motivates us and impassions us to follow you no matter where you've called us to go. And God, I know that we live in a world that's broken. I know that we live in a world that um, we, we can't count on politicians uh, to fix things. We can't count on uh, business leaders to fix things. What we can count on is Christians who, who are willing to give up whatever it takes for your kingdom and for your glory so that the world can know about the hope that's within us. Father, give us a passion for the things of you. Give us a heart uh, to love and reach out to others the way that you have loved and reached out to us, the way that you gave your life for us. Help us to see every person made in your image as somebody with value. God, I pray for the person who's here today that needs to follow you with their life, that they would have the courage to fill out a card or talk to somebody next to them or grab one of us um, and, and settle that today. Let today be the day of their salvation. 
For those of us in the room, Father, that are believers that feel like maybe we've drifted or um, run from you, or even in those moments where we don't want to talk to you because we know we're in trouble, we know we've made some bad choices, give us the heart and the passion to live with such an expectant way that even in this moment we can bring anything to you, knowing that you love us, knowing that you offer us forgiveness. And as we leave this place, we leave with expectant hearts. We leave with high anticipation of your return to rejoice to be in your presence. And I love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.